Once again, we're talking about the football by numbers, and we have another great number with some of the greatest running backs in NFL history, number 34, and Joe Ziemba joins us once again to talk 34s, and it's coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome once again to the Pigpen. And today we have another bonus edition, and we have our friend Joe Ziemba joining us, and we're going to talk about the greatest number 34s. We're going in order, and we're you know one-third of the way through all our jersey numbers. And uh, you know, Joe Ziemba, the great historian, podcast host, author, uh, there's nobody better to talk about these number 34s than Joe, and we're glad he's here, and we'll bring him in right now. Joe Ziemba, welcome back to the Pigpen. Darren, once again, thank you for having me. I enjoy the surroundings. I'm comfortable in the pig pen, and I hope we can do some damage tonight. Number 34 is a huge assignment. Hall of Famers, guys that might have to be in the Hall of Fame, and then some great stories along the way that we hope to share. So thank you again. We appreciate it. Oh, we appreciate you. And I don't know if you've noticed it here in the pig pen, but we, you've been on so many times. We have your name engraved in one of the fence posts here in the pig pen. So the, the, you can just keep leaning against that one. That's your post. Thank you. There's no greater honor. We appreciate that as well. <laughs> well, I guess we have got to start where we always do and just, uh, Let's see who Canton says we're the number 34, the enshrined people in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And they are telling us in alphabetical order that we have Earl Campbell, Franco Harris, Walter Payton, Joe Perry, Thurman Thomas as our uh, enshrinees. Now, I'm not so sure about Franco Harris. Uh, I could not find him in uh, 34. You know, of course, we all know him by the 32. And we talked about uh, him with Joe Zagorski just a couple of days ago. Uh, I'm not sure what you found on Franco Harris with 34. Yeah, the only time I found him is his final year in Seattle, which was a disappointing year for him. He wore number 34. Otherwise, uh, was number 32 throughout his career. Uh, I think I have my Steelers blinders on because we can't picture <laughs> Franco Harris in any other uniform. But maybe that's what it was. I set the blindness there. <laughs> that's right. Franco Harris did play for Seattle. That explains it. Okay. Yeah. Um well, do you want to start off with talking about some of these Hall of Famers? Yeah, let's start with Franco. Uh, okay. We only had the one year with number 34, nine consecutive Pro Bowls. That's pretty rare in football. Won four Super Bowls uh, in that magical backfield with Rocky Blyer. Rookie of the Year, MVP of Super Bowl nine, I believe it was. Uh, just a, a really a great runner. When he retired, he was third all-time in rushing. And here's our first little trivia of the day. John Grisham wrote a book called Playing for Pizza, and the star football player was named Franco in that book. Can you guess who that Franco was named after? (laughs) I would say it'd have to be 32 for the Steelers, number 34 for the Seahawks. (laughs) You are correct, sir. (laughs) 
Wow. I didn't, I didn't realize it. First of all, I didn't realize that Grissom wrote a book with, with the word title, uh, word pizza in the title. That's uh, yes. kind of an odd one for him. <laughs> well, yeah, Fra- Franco is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I can't say enough about him. I grew up and he was just one of those, those guys that I had, you know, pictures of him up on my wall in my bedroom when I was a kid and uh, just love, love the guy, you know, Franco's Italian army. I can remember the uh, signs in the end zone at three rivers. Uh, he was quite the ball player and we, we loved him in Pennsylvania anyway, because he was a Penn state grad and uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. He was a, and he wasn't even a feature back. He was sort of the, the big fullback blocking back for, I believe it was, uh, was it Lydell Mitchell was in the backfield with him? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So quite a tandem there for Joe Paterno. Okay. Uh, see, he, so he wore it for one year. Uh, maybe we'll come back to him. Maybe. I don't know if we can put him on the list for 34s because he really yeah, didn't do a lot yeah. with, with the 34 we should on. Have someone who wears it a little more often, maybe someone like Joe Perry, a Hall of Famer who wore it every single year of his career, I believe. All right, right. Um, Although I did see that he was listed as number 74, which is pretty rare, pretty odd for a uh, fullback. But Joe Perry was a uh, fullback who didn't like to just knock you over. He could run around you. He was fast. He was um, just one of those guys that could do it all. Uh, And actually, he was the first African-American to win the NFL's MVP award. He was the first uh, player to rush for a thousand yards in two consecutive seasons in the league as well. So when he retired, he had almost 10,000 yards and three times he led led the NFL in rushing three times. He led the NFL in yards per game. So he was a consistent player throughout his career with San Francisco, then some time with uh, Baltimore and then back at San Francisco again at the end. Yeah, it's uh, interesting looking at his years he played because he played from 1948 to 1963. So 48-49, he would have been with San Francisco in the AAFC, correct? Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. So he was one of the uh, few that uh, transferred over uh, from the AAFC into the NFL and played a good career in the NFL, too. So yeah, he's, when he did retire, I don't think I mentioned it. He was the NFL's all-time leading rusher back there in 1963. Really? Wow, that is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. See the uh, all all uh, 1950s team he made, and uh, like you said, all the all pros. I think he's a, a pretty good candidate to probably go on that list right away. He would be, and it's pretty rare when you get a fullback whose nickname is the Jet, which the means he jet. had some speed as well. Yeah, 1948, Jets were just coming about, you know, too. So (laughs) (laughs) that is a, yeah, he's a good player to have on that list. And he's not the only one because there are a lot of good names here coming up. And uh, I'll let you choose who you want to go to next. Let's talk about another favorite, which would be Thurman Thomas from Buffalo. All right. Except for his last year, he played his entire career with Buffalo. And he wore number 34 every single season. He was the uh, four straight Super Bowls for fans in Buffalo. Unfortunately, uh, the four straight games he played in were not ending successfully, but he was the MVP of the league in 1991. And he was the only player ever to lead the NFL in total yards for four straight seasons. So he had some uh, very good numbers. As we all know, he's in the Hall of Fame over 12,000 total yards rushing. 
got a chance to meet him a couple of years ago. The Professional Football Researchers Association had Thurman Thomas at uh, their Buffalo conference. And uh, just a real gentleman. It was a pleasure to meet him and to talk some great football with, with a true legend like that. So Thurman Thomas, I think, should be on our list. Uh, I, I definitely agree. He had eight seasons in a row from his second season through his ninth season, going over a thousand yards each season rushing. And then his uh, you know, receiving yardage was off the charts, too. He had uh, almost 4,500 total yards receiving in his career. I can remember those little passes that uh, Jim Kelly would toss yeah, off to him and he'd, right. uh, he'd get all that yak, you know, his, his yards after catch. And uh, yeah, he was a good back. And uh, I, man, I just have a mental block. I don't remember him being with the Miami Dolphins, but I look at it. He only had uh, 28 rushes for 136 yards. Maybe that's why I don't remember him. Yeah, pretty Dolphins. minimal there at the end of his career. I'm not sure why that happened, but yeah, unfortunately. But I totally agree with you. Thurman Thomas should be on that list of our top 10, number 34, because he is definitely a great one. And um, But do you want to, uh, you want to go to one of your Chicago guys that's in the Hall of Fame? We could do that. I don't know if you've heard his name before. His name is uh, Sweetness, Walter Payton. All right. Played for the Bears, of course. Uh, His coach, Mike Ditka, called him not only the greatest football player he'd ever seen, but also he was even greater as a human being. Now, one time uh, he he led the held records in the NFL for career rushing yards, touchdowns, carries, yards from scrimmage, all-purpose yards, Lots of other good things. And he also retired with the uh, most receptions by a non-receiver. So he was just so valuable, 5'10", 200 pounds, uh, coming out of uh, Jackson State, I believe. Mm -hmm. First-round draft choice back in 75, but so durable. He only missed one game in his career, and that was his rookie year. I think maybe the only regret that we as Chicago fans had at the time that he was unable to score a touchdown in the – early 1986 Super Bowl against the Patriots. But he was the NFL uh, most valuable player in 77. In fact, 1977 was such a great year for him. Um, the, The statistics were fairly amazing. He rushed 339 times to lead the league for a league leading 1,852 yards, led the league with 14 touchdowns, uh, also yards per game at 132.3. So, it was just a wonderful year on his way. Uh, one of his nine times he was named an All-Pro. So uh, Walter Payton, we still miss him. Uh, just an incredible person. Got later into IndyCar racing, as we know, and won that Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears. We're still waiting for another one. <laughs> now, I mean, he has. Uh, he, I mean, he really never. He tailed off for for him at the end of his career. But even his last season in nineteen. Uh, 87, he still had 533 uh, yards rushing uh, for an older player. You know, he was 13 years into his career by that point. Uh, you know, that's, that's outstanding. And I can just remember some of his, uh, he really didn't look like he run, would run sometimes. It was sort of like he glided and just floated, you know, sometimes. <laughs> I think I, I think the defenders thought that too. He was like a ghost sometimes, just <laughs> go after him and he wasn't there. <laughs> But yeah, what a, what a smooth player he was. Sweetness was a, a perfect name for him. Whoever gave him that moniker uh, mm-hmm. aptly named him. So yeah, I think uh, Walter okay. Payton is definitely on our list. Uh, if anybody is on our list, it's Walter Payton. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
And of course, the NFL now has its Walter Payton Award uh, for someone who exemplifies the way that, that Payton lived his life and one that donates his time off the field to helping others. So it was a aptly named for a wonderful player, Walter Payton. And it always seemed uh, that he was always having fun too. I don't know if I ever remember him, you know, looking upset or a frown on his face. You know, he was always smiling, you know, when they'd show him on the cameras, uh, he was having a good time. He was enjoying a game of football and that's what it's all about. And it's just, it was great for the the youth of that era, just to watch uh, a great role model, like uh, Walter Payton, you know, like you said, great things off the field and on the field, a tremendous person, uh, <laughs> never met him, but just uh, everything I've read about him and have seen about him and just watching his mannerisms, you know, great player, great person. And, uh, uh, definitely deserves to be in the top 10 of the number 34s. That's for sure. Yeah. He had that infectious smile. And apparently I read a biography of him and uh, he was quite the prankster as well, but a lot of the things we can't share on the air here. So, uh, but he was a fun guy to be around, I guess. <laughs> Very mischievous Walter Payne. Oh, yep. Okay. <laughs> all right. Now we'll have to all go read the book here to find out what those are. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess another great back, uh, a little sort of the same era uh, came in uh, during Peyton's career is Earl Campbell. I mean, what a, the Tyler Rose, I mean, what a great uh, collegiate career he had and a pro career. Uh, what, what do you have to say about Earl Campbell? Yeah. Campbell, of course, again, hall of famer MVP in 1979 when he led the league in both touchdowns and rushing yards, just all sorts of great honors throughout college at Texas where he was an all American Um Elected, of course, to the College Football Hall of Fame in 90, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 91, uh, and also named to the NFL's 100th anniversary team. And his jersey, this is the number 34, was retired by the University of Texas. So uh, another gentleman who has certainly uh, had an exemplary career, well-deserved of the honors. And I was looking at his first three years in the league were just so dominating. 1,450 yards, 1,697 yards, 1934, uh, 13 touchdowns, 19 and 13 touchdowns those first three years. So he was quite the dominant player, and he he managed to maintain that pace for another three years or so. And, again, just uh, he kind of retired early. He had said he had had enough, and he said it was time. So – he wasn't in the league that long, I believe about six or seven years and decided that was going to be it for him. Yeah. He, uh, I think it's the only uh, NFL game that I've gone to see that the Steelers weren't involved in. I got to go to Cleveland his rookie year when the Oilers played there. And the main reason was we had the, the chance to go. My father's friends got some tickets and main thing was to go see this outstanding rookie who was just tearing the, the league up. And he had a, a pretty good game. I'm trying to look up his stats from that game. Uh, and they're not coming up to me very easily here. But he he had a, a really nice game against Cleveland, who had a, a decent uh, team back then in uh, the 70s. So, but his I can remember how large that man's thighs were. You know, when you're sitting <laughs> yeah. up in the upper level of the uh, Cleveland Municipal Stadium, and you're you know, so you're probably a hundred yards away from the players, but just to see how big his thighs were compared to everybody else's on team. I mean, even the lineman, he just had those strong legs and uh, used them to drive and run over people. It was kind of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. 
at five foot 11 and over 230 pounds, I wouldn't want to see him coming at me. And <laughs> I think sure. the one word that is used throughout history to describe Earl Campbell is punishing. I didn't want to get in his way, but he could break those tackles so easily and keep on going. So he was, uh, I guess, one of our better power backs in the league. He'd rather go through you than around you. Yeah, and un- unfortunately, he's had some uh, health issues, I think, later in life. I know he's, he's still with us, but I know he's uh, has trouble walking, and I think it's you know probably from maybe that punishing career. And you know, defenders back then could punish a runner a lot more, too. Uh, yeah. he'd, he'd dish it out, but he also had to take it. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it was like some of our great heroes from the uh, gridiron. He is uh, suffering some in his, his uh, older age here. And so we wish the best for him, and hopefully he uh, – can get through that pain and uh we appreciate what he did on a football field because he is definitely another one that i think uh, maybe we ought to put on our list here and take up the four spot here i think he deserves it i definitely think so definitely think so okay well that's that's we talked about all five of our hall of famers but we still have a, a lot of great players here that are not in the hall of fame at least yet uh, and I'll let you you lead the way here, Joe. You tell us uh, who you want to go to. Yeah, let's talk about a couple of folks who might not even make our list tonight, and but had great, great pro careers. And I'm going to start out with Les Josephson. And the trivia about him is he came from a small town in Minnesota. He went to Augustana College in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, not a real football powerhouse when you compare to Ohio State or Alabama, et cetera. But he never played more than eight-man football till he got into college. So that was the first time he hmm. played 11-man football. But he grew up in a 1,000-acre farm, uh, made a Pro Bowl when he was in the NFL with the Rams and spent his entire career with the Rams and another one of our favorites because he wore number 34 his entire career. So once he got to Augustana, uh, he had a nice career, but he won undrafted. Then he got signed by Dallas, uh, kind of as a free agent after tryout, but immediately they sent him to the Rams in a trade. And... Um, he, he managed to hang around for his entire career from 64 through 74, picked up over 3,400 yards, uh, 194 catches throughout his career. And after football, he uh, became a film consultant for football movies and even appeared in the Warren Beatty movie called Heaven Can Wait. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was also a consultant for that not Oscar-winning film called Gus, about a place-kicking mule. Wait, <laughs> that didn't win an Oscar? Oh, my no, gosh. I must have just I remember missed. that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but he did retire. He was the third leading rusher all time for the Rams when he retired in 1974. So, again, an interesting career. One we bring up for a guy who did make a Pro Bowl at one time, but fell a little short of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, there's not too many uh, people that played uh, made the NFL that uh, played eight man football. I didn't realize they did, played eight man football in Minnesota. I think always think of Texas, you know, yeah. uh, with the eight man football in Oklahoma. I've never heard of Minnesota, but uh, we talked about somebody else uh, not too long ago who played eight man football in high school that made the. Uh, we talked about it on the list. I think they were even a Hall of Famer. I can't remember who it is offhand, hmm. but um, not a whole lot of them that are out there that no. uh, make it to the big time. But uh, yeah, definitely. I'm glad you mentioned him. 
He's a very interesting uh, player. Got a couple of defensive backs or defensive players, again, with the number 34. Um, don't know if they'll make our list tonight, but one was called Terry Hogue, defensive back. And he played from 84 through 96 for a variety of teams. Won a Super Bowl, played those 13 years with six different teams. And again, I, I wasn't familiar with his career. Uh, where he had been and what he had done, but just a very consistent player throughout the years. And after retirement, he made an impression. He was looking for something to do, didn't like office hours, didn't like construction, went to California, bought a plot of land, and now Terry is an award-winning wine producer. So he has success both on and off the field. That's another one of our number 34s. Now, we just uh, talked about Terry Hogue on our, uh, our, we celebrate the Hall of Famer's birthdays for the college and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Oh. And Terry Hogue is a college football Hall of Famer. He just had his birthday April 11th. So if you check out our April 11th post uh, down in our Hall of Fame section, you can read all about Terry Hogue's collegiate career. Uh, so we, we pay tribute to him on his birthday for being a Hall of Famer in the college football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. So, mm -hmm. yeah, good, definitely a great player. There's one more gentleman whose name is going to now live on forever, even though many people may never have heard of him. Played 12 years in the league, and he's a two-time pro bowler named Bill Coleman. Played at North Carolina and played for Baltimore and the St. Louis Cardinals, I believe, uh, where he finished his career. Uh, he was a linebacker, as I mentioned, 6'2", 229 pounds. So had a nice career. Uh, but the reason I say his name is going to live on forever, his family has donated a substantial amount to the University of North Carolina. And now the football practice field is named the Bill Corman Practice Complex. And they've also uh, now have a training program for their football players to help them adjust to life, both in college and out, called the Bill Corman Game Plan for Success. And so it's training for those students who are involved in football so, again, number 34, we may not remember him for his football career, although it was lengthy, two times in the Pro Bowl. But at North Carolina, at least, his name is going to be there forever. Wow, that, that is a great thing that the family did. You know, that's uh, it's one way that your legacy in the game of football lives on for ages to come, you know, having your name on a bunch of things at the where you went to school, and especially a, a big-time school like the, uh, the Tar Heel country in North Carolina. So that is a great thing. I'm glad you shared that with us. All right, uh, where would you like to talk about next? We could go with some other backfield members who had good careers just short of uh, – Board of the Hall of Fame. And okay. one of my favorite all-time players is Craig Ironhead Hayward. Oh, yeah. And he had some difficulties during his career, but he did lead the NFL in rushing one year with over 1,000 yards. Five foot 11, 260 pounds, although I've read some articles that he weighed as much as 340 as a running back. And I can't imagine, I know Errol Campbell was big, but here comes another guy, 100 pounds heavier, coming at you. And I wanted to find out how he got this nickname of Ironhead. Well, apparently that came in high school when there was some kind of discussion in a pool hall and someone cracked a pool cue over his head. Didn't phase him. <laughs> the pool cue didn't make it through the night, but 
Craig Hayward did. And then, then he became more famous. Uh, you know, during his career, he made a commercial for Zest Soap, uh, which showed, showed him and, and, and kind of made a different way of bathing for men with a little scrubber on her back, more uh, appealing and acceptable when you see this big guy doing that. But he had a hard time with his weight. He had weight yo-yo diets throughout his career. And one time he said, uh, he asked a reporter, have you ever heard about the diet I went on with one of my uh, coaches? And the guy said, no. And he said, yeah, coach lost 50 pounds. I gained five. So Iron had had a hard time pushing away from the table. And there's lots of stories about him, how big his head was. His helmet size was eight and three and a half. Wow. And he said it was made from a bucket to fit Ironhead. And someone asked him one time, hey, Ironhead, what's your favorite food? He said, hey, whatever's available on the table. So he, he was a, a guy that people really loved. He had some difficulties throughout his career. His career probably wasn't as long as it could have been, but still fairly successful. He was a consistent rusher, ended up with over 4,300 yards in his career. And uh, made the 1995 Pro Bowl, I believe, as well. So Craig Ironwood Hayward, not sure if he'll make our list, but I'd like to nominate him tonight. Yeah, I think he's definitely one we'll come back and talk about. Now, something we ought to put uh, uh, sort of an asterisk by his name, because he lost a couple seasons. He was one of those players right out of college that uh, got lured by the USFL, I believe. I'm not sure yeah. which team he played for them, but you know I know he got uh, a bunch of carries uh, in the USFL, and uh, you know how those a lot of carries take their toll on a on a player. But you know his first year in the NFL, he had 350, or I'm sorry, uh, 355 yards. I was thinking carries, but uh, I mean his rushes were were down when he came in the NFL. But I think he was up in the 300s for his USFL career, at least mm-hmm. in that first season that they played that full year. Um, if I'm not mistaken. And of course he's got a very famous son that's playing in the NFL right now. Yeah. I was going to mention it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're uh, here that's to, a nice hereditary there. Yeah. For Cam, Cam Hayward or the Steelers. So, uh, you know, when you were saying he was 340 pounds, I don't even know uh, Cam Hayward uh, playing defensive line. I don't even think he's gone 340 ever. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, well, that go, runs in the bloodline there. Some great ball players, both the Haywards. Okay, yeah, I think we've got to put him on our uh, consideration list to come back to because he was a very good back. And uh, I wish that we could have saw him in an NFL uniform, or at least have those uh, USFL stats come into. Yeah, but um, I, for some reason they don't. They don't like to count those. Yeah, we had uh, a, n- another good running back that, again, I put in my list, secondary list today beneath the Hall of Famers, but maybe, I don't know, maybe he'll get some uh, interest at one time, and that's Ricky Lynn Williams, yeah, uh, University of Texas, played for New Orleans, Miami, uh, Baltimore during his career. Only made one Pro Bowl, but he had five 1,000-yard rushing seasons, after his Heisman Trophy uh, career at Texas, he was two-time All-American. And I remember him because after Coach Didka left Chicago and went down to New Orleans, he and Ricky, you may have seen this, posed as a bride and a groom for some reason in some national magazine. But (laughs) Didka made a trade for his draft rights, and it was the only time in NFL history where I believe he was the only player selected in the draft that year by New Orleans. They gave away all the other draft picks trying to get 
Ricky. But he missed a couple of seasons. He also tried baseball. He had some other uh, violations with the NFL. So he missed two full seasons that I can tell. And se- several others, he didn't, he didn't play a lot. For example, one game in 2007. But still ended up with over 10,000 yards rushing total in his career. And uh, also a good receiver with 2,606 yards uh, receiving. And in 19, er, in 2002, he led the league in rushing with 383 attempts with 1,853 yards carried. So, rookie had a, well, we, I guess we call that, Darren, a checkered career. He was up or down, not too much in the middle. Right. But I, you know, in his defense, you miss, he missed the seasons. You know, they were both um, choices that he made, uh, both mm-hmm. the seasons that he missed. And, but to still, to hit the 10,000 yard mark, um, that that's pretty substantial. You know, there's not a whole lot of backs in the NFL that can say they've uh, rushed for over 10,000 yards. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's got to be less than uh, 100 people that have done it. I'm sure it's probably less than 50 people, I think. Um, but so, I, I mean, I think for that, I think he's deserves some strong consideration being on this list because he's very talented, but we can come back to him if if we want to, to, to talk about, but yeah, I think he, I think we could put him on there. He, he I, I agree. I was impressed by those five years of over a thousand yards, despite all his difficulties, but especially with two different teams too. It wasn't yeah. like he was in the same offense, you know, mm-hmm. with the same offensive line. So yeah, definitely. I think, I think we'll put him as our fifth one. Then I think we're in agreement on that. Uh, well, do you want to talk? There's another uh, player that was part of the uh, War 34 that was part of a big uh, time trade. Uh, and this was, uh, how about Herschel Walker? He's sort of a oh, yeah. similarity with, uh, with Ricky within that. Um, he was part of that big trade where uh, Minnesota and Dallas, uh, Dallas got, uh, I forget how many draft picks. It was almost like the Ollie Matson trade that we talked about a few weeks ago. Was, I was just uh, going to say, I think when we, uh, when I did that on, on my podcast, some of the comments were, Hey, wait, what about Herschel Walker? So yeah, that was another humongous trade, but uh, it really traded the Dallas Cowboys trading Walker probably built their 1990s dynasty by doing that. Um, I mean, just look at the success they had after that. They Dallas traded them in uh, 1988, and uh, good fortunes came a few years later at the Minnesota's expense, I think. I think Dallas ended up getting the better part of that deal. I would agree. Yeah, uh, Herschel Walker, first career, you know, 8,225 yards, um, 4.2 yards per carry, 61 touchdowns. Uh, he, he was, uh, I always remembered about him. I think he had, at one point in his career said he had never lifted a weight, but he did like oh. a thousand sit-ups every day and a thousand push-ups, like since he was in a freshman in high school or something along those lines. And that's how he got so strong just by doing those push-ups and sit-ups. And I can remember it's like the NFL today or one of the pregame shows. Uh, they had, uh, one of the, the, uh, uh, anchor people on there go to his home and he was doing his workout and he's doing his 500 sit-ups and 500 push-ups and he'd do 500 more and 500 more i'm like wow that's that is just some uh raw talent to do it without weights if that's if that's true and i i believed him when he said it yeah so he he played uh minnesota or six years with dallas three years with minnesota three years with the philadelphia eagles and one final year i'm sorry one of his final years with the uh, new york giants and then he ended up going back to dallas uh, his last two years but a uh, you know, great career. Uh, 
there's a lot of big names on here. I think he's one we're probably going to have to come back to on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, somebody else that I, I it's near and dear to my heart is uh, Andy Russell, uh, you know, because he's one of the great Steelers linebackers that were 34, kind of an odd number for a linebacker. When you look at it now, uh, I think they've uh, restricted uh, linebackers can't wear in the thirties anymore. I think in the 1970s, but he started playing in 1963 with Pittsburgh, his entire career with the Steelers uh, retired in 1976, you know, of course, after winning a, a couple of Super Bowls. Um, but he was, he was hard to replace uh, at when he ended up leaving the Steelers. Uh, they, you know, I think they had like two or three different, uh, right uh, outside linebackers to try to fill in, you know, uh, Robin Cole and uh, Taves and uh, some uh, dirt Winston and they, they're all good players, but they just didn't have uh, what Andy Russell brought to the table to, to be on that line with ham and Lambert. Uh, but I, I always admired Andy Russell. He was a, a big favorite of mine. And I have another fullback, which we haven't talked about. Again, one who maybe didn't reach his full potential because of personality problems. And um, I shouldn't say that, but uh, it seemed to be from the articles. But uh, Cookie Gilchrist um, was a fullback, played in the Canadian League, then came down to Buffalo, went to Denver, Miami, and Denver again. Uh, a good size back again, 6'3", 251 pounds. He was the first rusher in the AFL to go for 1,000 yards. And his first four years in the NFL after being in the Canadian League were what I thought would be phenomenal, 62 through 65. Three of those years, he led the league in, in rushing attempts, and twice he led in rushing yards. And all four years, he led in touchdowns. So he was the uh, AFL rushing leader in, in 62 and 64. So I thought this is a guy, uh, his career kind of ended after the 67 season. I think he may have gone back to Canada. I'm not quite sure. But um, it just seems like he should have been around a little bit longer than he was. Um, there was, again, some difficulties both medically, uh, et cetera, uh, with him. But a nice career in the NFL alone or the AFL, he rushed over 4,000 yards and caught another 1,100 yards in, in, in passing yards. So a nice career, uh, not likely to make the Hall of Fame, but Cookie Gilchrist was certainly an intriguing individual. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because I think the, the Buffalo Bills won the AFL championship in 64 and 65, I believe. And 64, he was with Buffalo. That's his AFL championship he won. 65, mm-hmm. he played for Denver, but he was an, a first-team All-Pro both years. That uh, mm-hmm. and he, So he left left the, the champ team, uh, went to another team, and still made a first-team All-Pro. So mm-hmm. and very similar numbers to what he had in Buffalo with uh, nine, over 900 yards rushing. So, yeah, and then you mentioned that he won the AFL championship in 64. He also won the Grey Cup in Canada. And then when he was retired, he was named to the all-time, as the all-time AFL foot, fullback. So, uh, you know, people remembered him. He just uh, made a good impression. He just was all over the place. When you look at some of the teams he played with, both in Canada and in the U.S., he had quite a few locations. Yeah, a good, good ball player. I mean, I'd, I'd say we could probably put him under consideration. I'm not sure if he'll make it, like you said, but yeah. uh, I think definitely had a, a career worth uh, talking about here. Those are some impressive numbers. 
especially here. He's sort of almost like uh, Hayward. You know, if he if you counted some of the things he did in the other professional leagues he played for, you know, he might be one of our, our you know big time guys here. That's but, right. Uh, yeah, but it's hard, hard to see those numbers. Uh, you know, the pro, you know, I don't know if the Pro Football Hall of Fame they don't always recognize the the Canadian leagues and the mm-hmm. uh, World Football Leagues and USFLs for some reason, but. Um, Maybe someday they'll combine all those uh, just to have some good players you know, here. I just noticed, Darren, we haven't included any kickers yet. And so I wanted to uh, suggest Don Chandler. Okay. Kicked for years for the Giants, but really made his name those last three years of his career in Green Bay. Helped them win the first two Super Bowls. So 12 seasons in the league, one Pro Bowl, but twice won a Super Bowl and four times before the Super Bowl, they were NFL champs. And he was voted the best punter of the 60s, although his yardage wasn't really that good. I think it was in the low 40s. But he had a monster punt that he was known for in 65, uh, went 90 yards. And I found this interesting because that kick in 65 was the longest in the NFL since 1923. When Wilbur Fats Henry got off a 94 yarder uh, for the old Canton Bulldogs in 23. And so uh, Chandler had uh, been struggling that year for a little bit, but the 90 yard kick is, is pretty amazing. He also had a 70 yard kick for um, back for his college in Florida in 1955, which was still, I think, the second longest in that school's history. So um, over his career, oh, here's, here's what I was thinking of. He got off 660 punts in the NFL, and his average was 43.45 yards, uh, 43 and a half yards per, per punt. Not bad, not bad. Uh, but that 90-yard kind of sticks out as one of the longest ever in the NFL. Yeah. So that what, would be Don Chandler, nickname the Babe. The, what, what years did he play, Joe? He started in 56 with the Giants Okay, and ended up, he was uh, traded to Green Bay in 65. They kind of thought he might have been washed up and then just played those three seasons. And he was a balding guy at the time. And of course, it was referred to the old man uh, by fans and media alike. <laughs> and I bet he is the only NFL player ever to come out of Bacone College in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And McCone was established as a school for Native Americans. And that's why I was surprised to see Don Chandler went there, at least for a year. Now, I got a chance to visit Bacone uh, many years ago. And it uh, really is a, a, a neat place, a small school. They're still around, uh, have a decent basketball team. But I digress. We're talking about Don Chandler, uh, great punter, the greatest punter of the 60s, according to the NFL experts of the time. You know, you know, it's really amazing when you say that 90 yard punt, because that's why I wanted to ask the era, because I, I have a, a theory. I'm, I haven't read it anywhere, but you're talking about like fast Henry with the 94 yard. Now it seems like there's a lot of long punts in college and the pro game back in those, you know, 19, the teens and the twenties of the early uh, 20th century. And I was wondering, I'm thinking maybe it was the shape of the ball because it was more of a rounded shape, more rounded, yeah. you know, almost like yeah. you're kicking a basketball. It would keep rolling where our modern day football, you know, takes some weird hops and bounces all over the place, sometimes the, the wrong way, but uh, Chandler would have been punting, you know, with a, a Duke ball from the fifties on. So that's yeah. you know, more similar to what we, we use today. So same girth and the, the, the pointed shape. So, that is impressive. 90 yard punt. Wow. 
Yeah, and he said he let it fly from just about his own goal line and all the way to the, uh, it was against San Francisco, it landed on the 49ers 25 and took a bounce and um, put it down on the 10-yard line. So pretty interesting. Very impressive. Okay. Um, yes, well, I'm glad you mentioned him. Uh, let's see. How, who do we have here? We, we still have a, a bunch of uh, – pretty decent backs that were for quite a bit of time. I mean, Greg Pruitt of the Browns, you know, fame. Um, Greg was a, they had two Pruitts in the backfield, Uh, Greg and Mike Pruitt. I can remember with the Browns in the, was it the 70, late seventies, early eighties. I think they both played. And, um, you know, he, he had a decent career over 5,600 yards, uh, 27 touchdowns. And, you know, it was a shared backfield too, because they, they both carried the ball a lot. And, Mm -hmm. uh, Back in that that pro set offense that they that Cleveland used with Brian Seip at the helm, so he I can remember him well. Uh, you know, facing my team uh, twice a year, he <laughs> definitely inflicted some damage. I'm not sure that he'll make our list, but uh, definitely worth somebody mentioning. Um, yeah, he he was great. He had the three straight years over a thousand yards rushing, and it was nice. He was one of those players that toiled for twelve years, but in his last year with the Raiders, he won a Super Bowl. Our trivia about trivia about him though is he has a NFL rule named after him called the Greg Pruitt rule. He used to wear tearaway jerseys, so when defenders would try and grab him, pull him down, it would rip off. And because of that, <laughs> different type of jersey where the NFL put in a, a rule now that it's illegal to wear a tearaway jersey because of Greg Pruitt back ah. in the seventies and eighties. Wow, another Joe Ziemba tidbit. I, 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 mean, I can remember the tearaway jerseys, but I didn't realize it was Pruitt uh, yeah. that sort of caused the, the rule to be caused that. Hmm, called that. Very interesting. Uh, another back I think it's worth mentioning is uh, more of a modern player, D'Angelo Williams. I mean, he had a, a brilliant career. Carolina Panthers uh, played with the Steelers, I think, near the end of his career. Um, but he also had some surprising yardage, you know, almost 8,100 yards rushing, uh, 61 touchdowns. And he was another one that played uh, in a shared backfield. Uh, Carolina, I'm forgetting who the uh, the other back was, but they had another really good uh, bell cow back that was in the same backfield as uh, D'Angelo Williams. They shared carries. The name escapes me right now. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he had a really nice career everywhere he went. Um, including the Steelers. He really filled a, a, a role for them in 2015 when um, I think it was Le'Veon Bell was injured uh, early on. I think he was the, that's the year he tore the ACL and uh, they really counted on Williams to carry him through that season. So we were uh, glad he was there, but I think I'm not sure he'll, he'll make the list either, but uh, just somebody else I want to make sure we mentioned. Yeah. There's another back again, not fabulous numbers, but good numbers was Ricky Young. Um, was with the uh, I think it was with San Diego, it could be, yep, San Diego Chargers mm-hmm. and Minnesota. Nine years in the NFL, and he led the league in receptions with 88 in 1978. And the last uh, when he joined Minnesota, people were wondering if he was tough enough, I guess. And he had a game where he impressed coach, uh, coach Bud Grant. And who told the media after that, I guess Grant had knocked over, not Grant, <laughs> Ricky Young had knocked over a few people. And uh, Bud Grant said, now you know why Ricky Young is a Viking. Ricky Young is the kind of player who plays hurt, never makes a mistake, 
and gives you 100% all the time, if you had a team full of Ricky Youngs, you probably would never lose a game. Kind of cool quote from your coach while you're still playing. Usually they talk about it after you retired how good you were. I mean, that, just you, the statement you said about him leading the NFL in receptions as a running back. I mean, how yeah. many times has that ever happened? I Gosh, I, it's the only time I can ever think of it may have happened. Um, yeah, isn't it? And that's a lot of catches, 88 out of the backfield, plus he rushed for 134 yards that year. He actually caught more yards passing than he did rushing, so it was uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I would. I mean, if somebody was said, "Hey, what running back ever led the, the NFL?" I would guess, you know, you know, Roger Craig or Thurman Thomas, you know, somebody mm-hmm. like that, or Marshall yeah. Falk. But uh, yeah, that's, I, that's astonishing. Eighty-eight receptions by a running back, and and to lead the NFL. Hmm, that's impressive. Very impressive. I I think maybe he ought to be under consideration because that's that's quite a feat. I think so. Yeah, I, I like Ricky when you, when you read about the guy and what he did. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Most definitely. Uh, another player. I mean, we we've got quite a few players that were for quite a, you know for quite a few years, and we don't have to go into great detail on them. But like uh, Tyrone Braxton had uh, what thirteen seasons with the number thirty four. You know. Interesting defensive back. He had 36 interceptions in his career, 617 return yards off him, four TDs. uh, Played from 1987 with the Denver Broncos. uh, And he snuck a year with Miami in there in the middle of his career. But all the way to 1999, he retired with the Broncos. Uh, Very interesting character. Probably not going to make our top 10, but uh, worth mentioning because he had those all those seasons. Uh, where and Ray Buchanan's another one had 12 seasons wearing the number 34. Uh, another uh, interesting player to talk about is the DB position. He had 47 interceptions, 827 return yards off him, four touchdowns. Came into the league with Indianapolis, uh, 1993. Uh, Played with them four years. Played with the Atlanta Falcons, where most people remember him for seven seasons, and then uh, one final year with Oakland in two thousand four. But uh, I think that uh, Mr. Buchanan might be another one we might want to consider when we go to do our deliberations. Yeah, and I noticed those forty-seven interceptions were quite impressive. And I found out also he went to Proviso East High School in Maywood, Illinois, which is a near suburb of Chicago. And we just talked about Ray Nitschke going to Proviso. And mm. Doc Rivers, the uh, NBA coach and player, went there as well. But Buchanan was a really gifted athlete with that cool nickname of Big Play Ray. And during his time in Illinois as a high school uh, track athlete, he won the state championship in the long jump and the triple jump. So he was uh, only 5'9", 186 in the NFL, but sure made his mark with all those interceptions. Yeah, quite quite the ball hawk for being a little bit smaller in stature at the DB position. So, yeah, very interesting uh, candidate there. I don't know. Do you have anybody else you want to bring into the, the conversation here before yeah, we... A couple other guys, just okay. because they seem to have long careers. One with the best nickname was Elvis Patterson, nicknamed Toast. And every time I see someone named Elvis, I cringe once in a while because announcers have such a field day. There was a good freshman guard playing basketball at DePaul University in Chicago this year with the first name of Elvis. And I was just praying that every time he does does something wrong, the announcers wouldn't say it, but they did. 
He made a bad pass. Coach took him out. And of course, the, the announcer said, oh, Elvis has left the building. No, <laughs> stop it. But Elvis Patterson, a defensive back, uh, had a nice long 10-year career, won two Super Bowls. And I did love the nickname of Toast. And he played it at Kansas. <laughs> and then one more. Uh, I actually got a couple more okay. that I, I liked. Um, a linebacker named Gus Otto. Uh, one time to the Pro Bowl, one time he won the AFL championship, but he played his entire career of about seven or eight years with the Raiders, a 6'1", 220-pounder. Um, so he was uh, obviously a, a tough guy. He wasn't that big, but uh, a nice size uh, to play linebacker for the Raiders. And the final name I, I might throw at you is a guy named Chuck Shanta played eight years with the Patriots when they were in the American football league. And for that time span, he was named to the all sixties team for the Patriots, but he was a defensive back six foot, 200 pounds and played those eight years, as I said, with the Patriots, but one year, cause he was a little bit of athletically inclined. His coach wanted to move him to fullback and they only had one fullback because of injuries and they had no backup. So, uh, the coach just, uh, decided he's going to move Shanta over to fullback. And one of the reporters said to him, uh, you know, you've been called very versatile, but how do you feel about the move? You know, have you, have you ever carried the ball? And he said, nope, don't have any experience. I never even carried the ball in high school. I just, just hope that Larry Gannon can last the whole game. So he was ready to play, but not ready to play. So that was Chuck Shanta. Probably not on our top 10 list tonight, but I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> I guess one other name that we uh, probably should mention, and he again, he didn't have a very long career in the NFL. Bo Jackson wore 34, you know, Heisman yeah, Trophy winner. That's right. Uh, out, you know, outstanding two, two uh, stars in two different sports, you know, with baseball and football and did very well at both of them. But unfortunately injury sort of got him in his fourth season and he never just never could recover from it. But, uh, you know, just those four years, he had uh, almost 2,800 yards and you know, 16 touchdowns. But like I said, that the, really he only had three good seasons because that the, the injury sort of dampered him that final season. But uh, he, he could have really done some great things, I think, if he didn't get hurt or if he just focused on football even. That's um, right, yeah. But, Made a uh, name for himself. His yardage was a little better than Joe Marconi, the fullback for the Chicago Bears. And they won the 63 title. That was the only year he made all pro, but he was one of those guys that we talked about in the past who wore his crew cut proudly. I uh, was not afraid to put his nose in the middle of the action. But since he was on the Bears, I, I had to add him and uh, <laughs> let us know about Joe Marconi. Picked up almost 3,000 yards during his career. And as I said, one Pro Bowl and one NFL championship. Wow. All right. Um, are you, you ready to go through and see who we want to pick for this top 10? Um, I am. I've got my pencil with the eraser ready. Even though I wrote with magic marker, we'll see how that works. Okay. <laughs> it might make a little bit of a smear there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, so far we've put five uh, individuals on our list. Uh, we have Joe Perry, 
Thurman Thomas, Earl Campbell, Walter Payton, all Hall of Famers. And we've added to that Ricky Williams as our fifth spot. Uh, is our hall of famers. And then once we said we were going to come back for consideration, uh, Herschel Walker, Ray Buchanan, uh, Franco Harris, Ricky young, uh, Don Chandler, Craig Hayward, cookie Gilchrist and Terry Hogue. And I think I got them all. So we have uh, five names to choose. I guess I'd throw out cookie Gilchrist. Because if we're not, if we're going by the number, not strictly the NFL, the uh, had some nice numbers in the two leagues up in Canada and in the U.S. Okay, I, I agree there. So that's our sixth spot. Um, I'm thinking uh, Ray Buchanan with those numbers yeah. uh, in the career he had. I think he should be on her. So that takes our seventh spot. Um, how about Herschel Walker too? Yeah, I, you know, I think that he, he deserves to be on there. Okay. So that is eight. And how about Greg Pruitt? Did we think he had enough, uh, accolades to be on our list tonight? Uh, I, I, well, I didn't put him under consideration. I know we talked about him. I'm not sure, uh, he, uh what was his yardage here? Oops. What was I thinking of Ricky Young, I think? I think Ricky Young, I think, is who, who we were talking about. I, don't, I think yep, Young. Yep, yep, Ricky yeah. Young. Well, yeah. Greg Pruitt did play 12 years and five times a pro bowler. But Rick, Ricky Young with having those, uh, you know, leading the NFL in receptions, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, running back. Uh, to lead the NFL in receptions is impressive enough, but from the position he played, I think that is very, uh, very impressive. So, well, go ahead. That's that would be our ninth player. Yep. And we yeah. talked about Franco Harris, but he only wore the uniform one year. He definitely yeah. deserves to be on a list. But the only thing holding him back, not his wonderful career, but his lack of years wearing number 34. Yeah, I don't because he wasn't real productive with Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't know that makes him one of the greatest 34s, you know, that, that's sort of the, the spirit of it. But uh, I guess uh, looking at some of the other players, maybe maybe he is the one that's most deserving for that final spot. There was a little bit of a drop-off uh, between the list we have and some of the others on the list. They're all very Let- reputable pros and all deserving and admire them because they played, uh, made it to the NFL, but. To well, get to this very prestigious number thirty-four list, you got to be something special. Well, I'm I'm wondering maybe uh, maybe we should think about this with um, Ironhead Hayward. I mean, ten seasons with the number thirty-four. Um, you know, didn't have the 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 big numbers like our Hall of Fame running backs did, but you know, he did have some impressive seasons. Well, I guess he only had one thousand yard season in the NFL. Maybe um maybe I'm mistaken there. He was a feared running back, though, and he kind of changed things, but a man that big could have that speed and be able to change games just yeah, by that's... knocking through the line. So I would not be adverse to adding him to our list. 
Okay. I think let's, let's give him the 10th spot. I think we, we had uh, Joe Zagorski and I, we definitely picked Franco Harris on our 32s. And that's what I, I think yeah. of him as, as a 32 and Hayward is definitely a 34. So, okay. So that is our list. So we have uh, Craig Hayward, uh, Cookie Gilchrist, uh, Ricky Young, Ray Buchanan, Ricky Williams, Joe Perry, Herschel Walker, Thurman Thomas, Earl Campbell, and Walter Payton. Those are our uh, top number 34s in NFL history that uh, Josie Emba and, and I, Darren Hayes, have uh, chosen here tonight uh, so far, 101 years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Now, Joe, I you know, appreciate you coming in your, uh, your podcast. You have uh, I've just listened to what you posted this week. And you have a very interesting uh, podcast. I don't know if you want to put it out there a little bit, uh, intrigue the listeners to listen in, because, but I found it to be very interesting. Well, what we did this week, Darren, is I tried to find three very unique early Chicago Bears to talk about, and I think we found them. One guy is now, I think, in my opinion, can throw the ball farther than anyone in Bears history that he was – I guess, documented as throwing the ball 90 yards in practice in the air. I don't know if I can believe it, but there it was. <laughs> but even more impressive, the same gentleman could throw the ball 60 yards accurately behind his back. So if you can picture you're moving to your to – your, he's a left-hander, moving to your left, and all of a sudden they're coming in with their hands up trying to block your pass. You whip it around your back and hit someone streaking downfield 40 yards away. And so that was one of our, our, our focuses this week. We also talked about another guy who made it was successful off the field as a, a boxer. And then we had an interesting story where we have a third guy who was George Trafton, really the best known of the three. He's in the Hall of Fame and his short boxing career. And George made the mistake of getting in the ring with an upcoming heavyweight named Primo, Primo Carnera who was soon to be the heavyweight champion. And after knocking out every single guy in bar fights in Chicago, George Trafton lasted less than a minute with Primo. But uh, some of the stuff going into that, we have a little quote from Red Grange recounting how he had an encounter with Machine Gun Jack McGurn, the hitman for Al Capone. So we hope you can listen. And our podcast is called When Football Was Football. It's running now and Take a listen and let us know what you think about those three unique individuals. Yeah. And uh, definitely something else I wanted to point out, um, you know, we've been uh, promoting the uh, PFRA's convention that's coming up uh, in the end of June. Uh, we've been playing the commercials here quite a bit. Uh, all, most of our sports history network uh, affiliates are playing them also. And uh, Joe, you're going to be uh, speaking at the pro football uh, researchers associations convention and uh you have any, can you give us a little highlight, a little tease of what you're going to be talking about? Well, much like during that, we talk about in, in these sessions on uniforms and trying to, to find some unknown facts about the very early teams from 1920. And so we're going to cover about five or six teams as part of a discussion on the opening night of the conference. So we'll have uh, the Bears. And we'll have the Cardinals, the Chicago Tigers, the Hammond Pros, the Muncie Flyers. And I believe there's one other one that we're going to talk about and give some insight into, maybe uh, dust off those archives and find some interesting facts about those teams. 
For example, one thing we'll share is that the name of the Cardinals does not come from a bird or from the color of a uniform. So uh, these are kind of fun things that you find in research that we'll be sharing at the PFRA conference coming up in June at Canton, Ohio at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay. We'll look forward to that. Um, I know we have uh, George Bozica uh, coming on soon to talk about that as well. Who's uh, sort of, you know, one of the main organizers of it, uh, the assistant executive director. So we have a, uh, can look forward to that podcast. He will also be on the football history dudes podcast uh, on the 21st of April. So make sure you check out uh, Joe Bozica, or I'm sorry, George Bozica there and uh, Joe Ziemba, you know, you're, you're hearing him quite a bit here on our podcast, but you know, that when the football is football, check him out there. Uh, Joe's got some great books out there too. And uh, you know, has a lot of great things coming on social media. And I don't know if you want to share your social media with the listeners too, Joe? Yeah, we do have a site on Facebook just called Chicago Cardinals. Uh, if you go to facebook.com slash Chicago Cards slash this week, we had an interesting photo from the 1935 Chicago Daily News showing the Cardinals surrounding a clock and how they were ready to uh, chew up the Eagles or chew up the clock when the Eagles came to town. So, um, <laughs> Again, we, we, we try and find some interesting things about the Cardinals, and that site's pretty much uh, 100% on the old Chicago Cardinals. And we're on Twitter as well at Cards1925. So um, please uh, give us a look there as well. And we enjoy chatting about anything old football with anyone. Well. I appreciate you once again, Joe, for coming on and uh, spending your time with us and sharing your great uh, wealth of knowledge that you have and the great stories and tidbits that you share with us and the trivia. It's uh, just great things in preserving the game of football. And we thank you for helping us get this top 10, number 34s of the NFL, because that was a big task and appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much, Darren. And I, I think we're going to get a chance to do it again. These are always enjoyable. And thank you for all the work and preparation you put into these. It's not easy finding all these number 34s that have been throughout NFL history. So thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you. It's our pleasure. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. offices of the Pittsburgh Guardian newspaper circa 1924. But for Marla Delft, assistant editor, everything was about to change. For she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is. Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees. Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover. 
I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed? I ordered it from the Row One website, where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction in multiple sizes and in several different materials, with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office. But I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. <laughs> Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Oh my, these are good prices. Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma, Nebraska football. College basketball art. Michael Jordan items. And so Retro it was that Marla Delft discovered the spondiferous magic of Row 1 Sports Memorabilia Arts and Prints. You can too by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full Row 1 catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act A for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at checkout. And keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in Orville Mulligan, sports writer, coming soon. Oh,